This is Effective Teaching with Dan Jackson from TeachersPD.net, giving you effective teaching and learning strategies for your classroom. Well, welcome to the Effective Teaching Podcast. This is episode number 11 and today I'm going to be chatting about collaborative approaches to education and I actually have my good mate Joel Anderson. He's the head teacher of PDHP out at Newcastle High. So Joel, thank you very much for joining me today. It's all good, mate. Glad to be here. Beautiful. So I was chatting to you at the Stage 6 ACHPA conference recently about the collaborative approaches that you've been using in your classroom lately and so I thought it'd be a really good idea to get you on here to just share some of that stuff that you've been doing and to help other teachers who might want to give this a go because uh, we were talking about how this is actually a great approach for creating lifelong learners, which is what we're talking about here. We're not talking about good approaches that are going to help students to do well on a test. We're talking about approaches that are going to help them in the long run. So can you tell us a bit about what your collaborative approaches are? Yeah, definitely. So, um, like you said, we're having a bit of a chat about it. Um, It's definitely something I'm quite passionate about. So I'm trialling a whole bunch of different methods at the moment at my school, just because I really don't know the kids being new to the school. I'm I'm trying to figure out the ways in which they learn and and ways that they learn best and, and what they prefer. And some of the strategies that I've been trying are a little bit different. And I just wanted to try a whole range of different things and see what they responded to and what they enjoyed. And a lot of those things that they responded well to were these collaborative style approaches. A lot of the reading that I was doing was talking about the benefits of collaboration, which no doubt we'll talk about. What exactly are the collaborative approaches? What, what makes an approach a collaborative one? For me, a collaborative approach is where you've got two or more people working together to achieve a common goal. Usually in these types of collaborative approaches, each person has a role in the group or a way to contribute. And what it does is it forces each person in the group to be an active participant in their learning. And do you always like mandate who has what role or do the kids get to pick that? Does it matter? So I've tried various strategies with this, but currently what I'm doing at the moment is this huddle and pod system where I have huddles set up, so groups of three that I've set up because I know the kids based on their level at the moment, personality types and a range of different factors just from me knowing the kids. So I I have them set up in little huddles and they basically do everything together. And it can be something as simple as solving a, a problem, dealing with a scenario, coming up with a solution or it might even be planning a HSE-style response together. And, and this is their core little group that they have. And then from there, I generally get them to combine with another group to share their ideas with another huddle, which is, which is their pod. And then I will have maybe four or five pods in the group. And then from there, they can share their ideas with the group. So it's a, almost like a glorified think-pair-share strategy, a little bit of jigsaw thrown in there with it. But it's currently the system that I'm using. And... I'm just trying to track the data on that to see what they like and and if it's beneficial. But that's what I'm currently using. I've I've used direct instruction for a whole critical question of one of my units. Track that. I used a different research-based approach in another one. I've done all these practical hands-on approaches in another one. And so now I'm up to this collaborative approach where they're using these huddles and pods. I'm finding it really beneficial to, like I said, get the kids actively involved in their learning rather than being passive and, and hearing me lecture them. That this whole concept of going from the traditional teacher-led classroom to a student-focused approach, which can sometimes be pretty hard to ease up the reins and, and give, give the reins over to the kids almost and lose that little bit of control 
over the classroom by giving those kids the opportunity to explore and think critically about concepts and take on the perspectives of their peers to formulate new opinions and create something that brings together the values and the beliefs of the whole group, which is a pretty important thing. And it's going to help them not just have deeper understanding of the concepts, but it's going to help them to take those or develop skills that they're going to use when they leave school. Beautiful. So the next question I have here to ask you is why would people use them? And I think you've actually detailed quite a few things there about how the the students are forced to really work together and utilise each other as they're doing this learning and forcing them to take on other people's perspectives and at least interact and engage with those perspectives. And then you talked about developing some skills that are going to really help them later in life. But do you have any other reasons why you might use this approach or why you might encourage other teachers who are currently listening to this to use this any kind of collaborative approach in their classroom? I think sometimes we get a little bit comfortable and we, and we do the things that come natural to us. And for me, it's very much that traditional stand and, and deliver content to the student. I enjoy doing it. I don't know if it feeds into the ego or the pride and as the person who's at the front of the room who has all the information and, and directs everything like this conductor, but I, I recommend people to try and get out of their comfort zone and try something a little bit different because the real learning doesn't occur from kids digesting content from you standing up the front and lecturing them about stuff. They can digest information in a million different ways now with a little thing in their pocket that has more information than anyone standing in front of them. And they've also got 30 people in the room with a variety of skills, experiences and knowledge. And the greatest resource in the room besides the phone is each other. It's not the person standing at the front of the room. Any professional development you go to, that's what you hear. Greatest resource in the room is each other. And then you go off and do collaborative activities. And it's no different for students. And We don't go there because it's out of our comfort zone or we try it and we literally jump in the deep end because we read about it or we, you know, someone might listen to this podcast and go, all right, I'm going to go and try this and it might not work. It it, it will probably fail if there's not enough planning and thought that goes into it. But then we scurry back to our little circle of safety because we tried it and it didn't work, but it, it didn't work because we didn't put the plan in place and we weren't explicit with our instructions. We didn't have clear learning goals. We didn't create groups based on their different group dynamics and personality and learning styles in that class. We didn't measure the performance before and after to see if it actually worked or had impact. The room was loud and we don't like a loud room, you know, maybe. So, and then we might look back and say, oh, it just doesn't work for those kids or it doesn't work at my, in my school context. And it's just a bit, of a, a bit of an excuse not to trial something different, but really it didn't work. And you need to just go back and try something a little bit different. And it requires training. The kids have gone through a system where they've been lectured to for 10 years or seven years. And it's what they're used to. And they're used to being passive in their learning. And they want you to stand there and deliver so they don't have to think. We need to get out of, outside of that comfort zone and do something different and force these kids to be actively involved in their learning, get them to do something so they have a deeper understanding of these concepts and get them to refine their skills that's going to help them be resilient capable students who can overcome any obstacles that life throws at them that's really good joel i really like a lot of the stuff you said there particularly around the fact that teachers will they will try something and then they'll always come back and go it didn't work and then they'll just go back to what they're doing before rather than going why didn't it work how can i refine it how can i improve it because i have you know three other people in front of me saying that it works so well for them 
and yet I can't work out how to get it going. It, yeah. it may not be your kids. It may not necessarily even be you. It's just about that refining processes. If you don't put in the effort and do it six, seven times, then you haven't really tried it. You've, you've kind of just gone, oh, give it, a, give it a go is what you've done. And you haven't, you haven't tried it properly. You've just... Well, that's it. We, we preach the growth mindset to the kids about failing is your first attempt in learning, but we don't practice that. I've done this, you know, I've tried something, I've just gone, oh, that didn't work for those kids. And now I'm trying to make sure that I'm reflecting a bit more on these strategies and how I can maybe make some modifications and get a better result. Because at the end of the day, these strategies, if you look at that research on collaboration, a lot of what Hattie talks about with this zone of desired effects, a lot of those things are collaborative approaches. We look at classroom discussion or peer teaching or reciprocal teaching or any of these methods they all have a high impact on student outcomes and that's what you can get through collaboration. I mean, you look at anything that we do as teachers, everything we do is in a team. With the collaborative approach, what is it about it that you think actually helps the students to become lifelong learners? So I, it's very clear that it's very applicable to life in general. You know, we do a lot of things in groups and we often have to work with people whether we like them or not. But how does that actually help in terms of them being able to learn in the future? <laughs> Yeah, so providing or like our job is to provide the kids with an opportunity to learn how to learn. Sometimes you need to take a step back and instead of spoon feeding this, and it might be something as simple as, sir, what page in the textbook is that on? You could easily tell the kid that if you're using textbooks, but why can't that kid figure that out? And you might want to encourage that. My philosophy is, and I've been called lazy in the past <laughs> with this approach from someone who didn't have the same philosophy. We, we need to teach these kids how to learn. So that means, okay, we're going to do this task. We might be research. These are your options to find the information. You pick which one suits you. You're not going to come to me every step of the way. Oh, sir, but what, what link was it? What website's this? What do you think of this? You're going to use each other to try and figure this out. And I think if you go through this process with scaffolding and modeling of what a good response or a good sample looks like, you're developing the kids' confidence to be able to solve these problems and that is, it's, it's learning how to learn. It's them being able to, you're not going to be there after school finishes. You're not going to be there when they're studying for the HSC. So you need to be able to set them up to have those skills so they can then go and study themselves or, you know, be independent with their learning or form groups and have study partners to work on their HSC responses or whatever it is they're doing. Post school, those skills are going to be taken with them forever. I'd actually want to add to it even that, just the fact that you're forcing kids to talk to other people, you talk about the person who knows the most in the room is the room. You know, I've, I've heard that saying so many times. It's, it's not just me. It's not even just you. It's the whole room together because together we have a lot more knowledge than anyone else and we have skills that together are beyond anyone else's capacity as well. And, and that for me, if you're a learner and you have the ability to go, I don't know it, but I know Joe Blow over here does, to go and approach that person and either get them to teach you the skills or to help uh, to use them as a resource. That is part of learning. You know, you can set the bar a little bit higher with collaborative strategies. You, you can set that bar that little bit higher and as the group works together, they can solve that more complex problem, which is going to drive the confidence, you know, and then they understand that, hang on a minute, I don't need to know everything. I just need to know how to find out. Yeah, I'd even, I'd even go one step further and say that you shouldn't use a collaborative approach unless what the learning is is hard enough that it needs it because otherwise you are going to have kids that just sit there and chat and things aren't going to go well for you I don't think whereas if you've right. set the bar higher than what one student can actually achieve and it requires them to have to work together and utilize each other's skills and I think that's 
that's where your collaborative approaches really go to that next level. I know, you know there's an article on my site that talks about collaborative approaches and cognitive load. The article will talk about the fact that you need to have a really challenging learning activity. When they work collaboratively, their cognitive load goes down. Yeah. And because the cognitive load goes down, if it's not getting filled up somehow, they, just, they get distracted. They're going to find places to fill it up. So if there's one thing a teacher should try this week in order to implement some collaborative approaches what would you recommend they actually do let's let's say they're rocking up to school this morning right they're listening to this on the way to school what what should they do as soon as they arrive at school to create something that's collaborative for one of their lessons today in dan hasler's book this school of excellence he talks about like jumping in the deep end and i think about that a little bit and when we jump in the deep end and it doesn't work that's when we scurry back so what i would recommend that someone does if they're keen to try a collaborative approach is just dip the toe in don't, don't necessarily jump in the deep end. Just dip the toe in. And dipping the toe in might be a two-minute pair discussion. It could be, radio with the person next to you, here's a scenario. Tell me how you would deal with this or tell me what your thoughts is on this or discuss this concept. It could be something so basic. And if we're dealing with kids who aren't skilled in collaborating, this could be a great starting point. I remember, you know, I taught a class for the first time. It was a HSC group. They were doing identifying health priority areas. And I was just like, all right, well, I want to do something straight away just to see what they know and get them talking. And I just went, righty you got $1,000. You need to improve the health of everybody in this room with the person next to you. You need to tell me in five minutes time how you would spend the money and tell me why. It was so simple, and I'm sure everybody does little things like that. And then as that group gets more and more confident or you get more confident, you can try something different. I would start by dipping the toe in and uh, maybe starting with a simple group discussion. Thank you very much, Joe. It was a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, mate. Pleasure to be here. I hope what I had to say was, was useful to somebody. Sure it was, mate. Sure it was. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Effective Teaching with Dan Jackson. Please visit teacherspd.net for more effective teaching strategies and online professional development.